Grace, mercy, and peace be yours, dear brothers and sisters, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're back in the garden again today. That's been our message series theme these past few weeks in the garden as we look during this Lenten season at the work of our God through the lens of his prophet Jeremiah. Our God is weeding out and uprooting the things in our hearts and our lives that he does not want to be there. And in their place, he's planting. He's planting seeds, seeds of peace and hope, seeds of life and truth. And I I think maybe today, especially seeds of fear and love and trust in him above all other things. And that's why we're here today in the garden. We're here so that the gardener can do his work in our hearts. We talked about that a little bit last week, that we don't gather here on Sunday mornings primarily for what we're able to bring and set before our God, but we gather here first and foremost for what it is that our God has to offer to us what he does to us here. This is where he pulls out those weeds. This is where he plants those seeds. And as he does that, as he works on us, then yes, we also lift up our voices in response to his work and we offer him thanksgiving and praise. Here we are in the garden today, and and we're going to be focusing on two very prominent characters in the garden. The first fill-in on your sermon sheet, if you'd like to fill in the blanks there. Today we're going to be looking at the scarecrow and the god. First, when we look in the garden, we find the god, the god who makes the plants in the garden grow. The God who sends down the rain from heaven, the God who created the sun and placed it in the sky to give the plants the light they need, the God who spoke the very soil into existence in the very beginning. And next to that God, that that incomparable God, Jeremiah holds out for us another character, the, the scarecrow. This man made man made out of straw who is completely powerless, completely ineffectual to do anything for any of the plants in the garden. Maybe we would say, well, but he does keep the crows away, right? But anytime you see an illustration of a scarecrow, the crows are sitting right there on his arms. They can't even accomplish the purpose for which they're created so often. So as we read through our sermon text from Jeremiah, and I'll invite you to follow along on the insert in your worship folder, we'll note I formatted it slightly differently. The words in italics are the words where God speaks to us about the scarecrow. And the scarecrow, to make it abundantly clear, is your idol. It is our idols. Whatever worthless, stupid, straw men we have set up in our own hearts to take the place of God. Those words are in italics and in the bold then we see the words where God communicates to us about himself. A lesson from Jeremiah chapter 10. 
Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. But like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsman and goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. And when their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these. For he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. This is the word of our God. There is no one who is like God. No one who is mighty in power and wisdom and understanding like God to create to, to preserve, to restore, or to destroy. And because there is no one who is like God with that power to destroy, then there is no one or no thing in this world that we ought to fear more than God. And by fearing him, What I mean is there is no one or nothing that we should be more afraid of than crossing or rebelling against 
our God. But our God is not just the one who, as this text said, when he is angry, causes the earth to tremble, who, of whom none can endure his wrath. Our God is also a God of grace and mercy and love. And it's maybe not as explicit in our text today, but we ended with the words, this is his name, the Lord Almighty. In the Hebrew, literally, it's, it's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly hosts, the heavenly armies, the armies of angels whom he commands not to come and destroy you, but rather to watch over you and protect you. And that name, the Lord, that we see in our text in all capital letters, that name the Lord is the name by which he revealed himself to his covenant people of Israel, the name that he identified himself by to Moses from the burning bush. And then on top of Mount Sinai, he came to Moses again. And when we see and we hear this name, the Lord, we want to think of all of the things God revealed there on the mountain to Moses. He said, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, who is slow to anger and yet abounding in love and in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet, who does not leave the guilty unpunished, but punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. There is no one who is gracious and compassionate like our God. None who are as loving, as forgiving, as faithful as he. None who are as just, carrying out justice against the wicked as he. And so there is no one, nothing in this world that can compare to our God. None that we should fear or love or trust in more than him. It's our next fill-in. And yet we do it all the time. Maybe just for a moment, perhaps for a season, we, we set things up in our heart that we fear, we love, we trust more than our God. And so, brothers and sisters, what can we say about those things this morning? What can we say about the idols over to whom we give our hearts. Well, Jeremiah has something to say, and I think maybe the translators for the New International Version, which we use here, I think hold back a little bit in the words of Jeremiah. What he's really trying to drive home for us today is that it's all so stupid. Other translations will have that word. In our translation, we saw it's senseless, and foolish, but they'll just come out and say it is stupid and foolish for us to give our hearts over to anything other than our all-encompassing God. And those idols that we set up in our hearts are stupid and foolish and senseless. Literally, they are senseless. They cannot see. They cannot speak. They cannot get up and walk around. There is nothing that they can actually do for us. And there's nothing they can do if we cross them either, so we have no need, he tells us here, to fear them. 
verse 15 says they're objects of mockery. The idols of our hearts are things which we ought to insult and deride so that we can see just how worthless they actually are. And that's easier to do, I think, with anybody else's idols but our own. Certainly when we look at our text today from Jeremiah and we think of this man going out into the forest and cutting down a tree which is then carved into the figure of a man and and has precious metals hammered all over it and then is dressed up in a a made-up outfit of blue and purple and then someone would come and bow down before it and start praising it and praying to it and worshiping it and asking it to save them. Well, that's stupid. And it's foolish, and it's easy for us to see that. But we're a little bit more blind, I think, when it comes to the idols that we cherish in our own hearts. And our idols today are, I think, a little less tangible often than the idols that we see held out for us in the examples of the Old Testament. So it's a little harder to find them and identify them. And there are some questions, I think, that we can ask ourselves to try to get to the bottom of, are there idols in my heart? If so, what are they? So that I can go in with the master gardener and, and help him as he seeks to grab those by the roots and, and weed them out and tear them out and eradicate them from my heart. So first, we need a definition. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you consider, even for a moment, to be more important and more dear to you than the God who created you. An idol is anything that you're afraid of losing, if even just momentarily, more than you fear losing the relationship that you have with God. An idol is anything or anyone that you look to to give you the things that only God can give you. Peace and security or meaning, purpose and fulfillment. The Bible says that idols are the things that we love in our hearts that then lead us into sin. But it starts with the things that we love in our hearts, and so it's possible that we might make an idol out of something good that God has given to us, because he certainly does. He pours out so many blessings into our lives, more than we could ask for, more than we ever deserve. And he wants us to love those things in our hearts. He wants us to cherish them. But he simply insists that we have to keep our love for those blessings he's given us in check. And if our love for his gifts begins to eclipse our love for him, then we have to let our gardener in to to uproot them and perhaps transplant them back into a place that's fitting and right for them, a place that allows him to maintain the number one place in our hearts. We allow things, even good things, to become idols, and we worship them because we are broken sinners who are not complete on our own. What am I getting at there? One of our ancient church fathers, a man 
whom we call Saint Augustine. He was a leader of the church in Africa about 1,600 years ago. Is maybe most famous for one of his lines that he wrote. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What he's getting at there is that we have a need for Jesus. We, we do not, we cannot feel satisfied or fulfilled on our own. We're broken, and Jesus is the only thing that can heal the brokenness into which we enter into this world. But the sick, twisted thing about our sinful human nature is that we will try to fill that brokenness and that void within us with anything else first besides Jesus. Because finding the healing for our brokenness in Jesus means admitting that we need his help, that we are not able to fix the brokenness of our hearts on our own. Receiving God's grace is hard. It's hard because in order to do it, we have to humble ourselves to admit that we need it, that there is nothing we can do to fix that hole on our own. And every ounce of our sinful pride resists that. Better a God that I choose, that I set up for myself, than a God who comes and chooses me as, he's, as his free gift to me. That's, that's what our selfish nature says because it doesn't want a free gift. It wants to be able to say that it has found the solution on its own. So we need God's grace even to receive his grace. And when we think about it, it drives home the fact that idols are stupid. They are worthless and they are powerless, as Jeremiah puts it, like scarecrows in a cucumber patch. But they are a reality of our life because of the foolishness and the stupidity of our sinful nature. Idolatry is the single greatest threat to our faith. And so God sets forth as the first of his commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. But if you're sitting there today, sitting here today, wondering, do I really have idols in my life? Or wondering maybe what is it that those idols are? I want to help you answer those questions. So we can pull them out and throw them away. Or if it's a good gift that's turned into an idol, pull it out and put it back where it ought to be. So first, do you actually have idols? I think to get an answer to that question, we can really just ask ourselves another question, which is, are you sinful? Because if the answer to that question is yes, then I would argue that there is some sort of idol that you are dealing with, struggling with, that is leading you into sin. Because in any moment that we are able in our mind to rationalize breaking one of our God's commandments and entering into sin, it's because there must be something 
at least in that instant, that we are valuing more highly than our God? If, on the other hand, you answered no, and at the moment you can't think of any sin that you're guilty of committing lately, then come and find me later this week and let's sit down and just look through the Ten Commandments and look at what it truly is our God is asking of us there. And I'm not kidding, I would be happy to do that with you. But let's assume that you said yes, you are still sinful, which means that there is something that's led you to fall into sin. I want to suggest four questions as we close today. A litmus test, if you will, that can help you to identify these idols that may be in your heart so that you can pray for God's grace to enter into your heart and to help to pull them out and, and to reorient things. The first question is, are you willing to compromise your beliefs for something? Ideally, the set of beliefs that guide you and that guide me would be the teachings that our God has set out for us in his word. So ask yourself if you want something so badly that you're willing to compromise on God's teachings to get it. And if so, then there's probably an idol involved. Now, sometimes that might be very apparent to us. If you're tempted to lie, to cheat, to hurt someone, to ruin somebody else's reputation in order to get this thing that you want, then it's, it's pretty clear you're compromising on those beliefs. But sometimes it's not that apparent to us. Sometimes it's much more subtle. As we simply are not able to fully love our God, or to fully love our family, our friends, the others whom God has placed into our life because our desire for this one thing is compromising on that love. Or we're not able to fully give ourselves to our work, to one of the many callings that God has given us because this thing, whatever it is, is drawing us away from those godly callings and pulling us towards it instead. And if that's the case, then that thing might be something that we've begun to idolize. That bleeds into the second question, which is, do you value this thing or this result more than you value people? When somebody hurts your feelings, when somebody makes you late, when somebody does something that causes you to, to lose money, or inconveniences you in, in any other way, is it that person whom God has bound you to in love, whom he commands you to love, or is it the thing that was lost, that was hampered, your schedule, your, your budget, your ego, that holds the higher place in your life? Because if this thing rises up in your heart over and above this person, then it very likely may have become for you an idol. The third question is, will you get angry if you cannot get it or do it? If the thing that you desire is denied you, can you still bring your heart to a place of peace and be content with what it is that God has given you 
Or does being denied this thing, this result, lead you to an inner anger and rage? And maybe not just inside, but an anger that boils over and starts coming out on the outside. Because if that's the case, then once again, this may be something that is an idol. If your plans are altered, or if you're asked to sacrifice, how are you able to deal with it? If the answer is poorly, then it might be time to pull that thing out and throw it away. Finally, fourth, is it pushing you towards God, or is it pulling you away from him? In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. If the thing that you're thinking about or doing, that you're watching or listening to or reading, isn't pushing you closer to God, then maybe ask the question, is it necessary? If this is something that you find escape in, something that calms you down, something that makes you happy, it may well be a good thing, but ask yourself the question, is this replacing my God? Or is it simply and still a good gift from my God that I'm able to find joy and happiness in and for which I can give him thanks and praise? If it's the latter, wonderful. But if it's starting to infringe on that former question, if it's starting to take the place of your God and you're seeking from it what only he can give you, then it's time to root it out and to throw it away. Idols, these scarecrows in our heart, they're, they're stupid because they are not able to do for us what our God is able to do for us. But they're also sneaky. And they really have a way of cropping up in our hearts, in our lives, just about anywhere we could possibly imagine. John Calvin, who was a contemporary of Martin Luther, once said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. It's able to crank them out left and right. And that's the sad truth about our sinful nature. But our sinful nature isn't the only nature that we have. We also have the new man that God has worked in us through faith in Jesus. And the heart of a Christian, dear brothers and sisters, is under new management so that it's no longer simply an idle factory. But God the Father, the master gardener, has come into your heart and he's begun cultivating in your heart to make it his own. And part of his work is that he sets his Holy Spirit within your heart as well to make you a branch that is connected to the vine of Christ Jesus. So that rather than pumping out idol after idol, your heart in God through Christ by the power of the Spirit 
is now able to create the fruits of God. It binds us to Jesus. It makes us one with him who died on the cross to take away our every sin of idolatry. To bind us to him so that within us can grow the love and trust and fear of him which we need for our salvation. And by that same spirit working in our hearts, we're able to pray to our Lord, Lord Jesus, be in our hearts today and go about your work. Weed out whatever idols you may find there and help us to live according to your word. Help us to order our lives aright that we, you may always be our first love, that you may be the one we fear losing the most and the one in whom we place our trust for all good things. Plant within us the seeds of your grace that we may overflow with love and joy and peace and all good things to the glory of your name. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of our Savior God, a peace that is beyond our human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in him as your first love. Amen. <laughs>